this is a this is a tough chapter. This is a judgment chapter. If you know anything about your Bible, Genesis 19 is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not a very happy chapter. But I got to uh, thinking last week the Lord had me. We started in Ruth, but really we looked at the events that took place in Genesis 38. That was a rough chapter too, wasn't it? Genesis 38. And all that about Tamar and all that. We looked at that last Sunday night. But we were able to find some grace in that chapter. Well, that got me thinking about maybe some other weird chapters in the Bible. Some other rough chapters in the Bible. That maybe we could find some grace in those chapters too. And so this is a tough chapter. It's a tough subject. The judgment of God. But even in the midst of judgment, I want to point out just some pictures of the grace of God uh, in this chapter here. Why don't we begin reading in verse 1. Just to warn you, I'm going to read down to about verse 14. I hope that don't bother you. That's not too bad. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall arise, ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly. And they turned in unto him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. They said again, This one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now we will deal, uh, we, uh, now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them, shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou, any here, hast thou here any besides, son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has set, sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. I'm going to stop reading right there, and I want to preach on this thought just for a minute. Uh, this evening, just for a few moments this evening. I want to preach on grace in a bad place. Grace in a bad place. 
How many of y'all would agree that Sodom is a bad place? But I see some grace in this chapter, believe it or not. What I found out is pretty amazing is if you is this is you can find grace if you're looking for it. Amen. You can find grace almost anywhere. You can find grace in your situation, whatever you're going through, if you're looking for it. If you're looking for bad, if you're looking for things to complain about, you can find them. Amen. But if you're looking for grace, you can find grace. It's almost amazing. It's amazing. I mean, I begin to see, oh, we might go through some other stories on the next few Sunday nights. I don't know. I'm not proclaiming this a series or anything because I don't want to get I don't want to get sidetracked and, and disappoint anybody or, or think you think I'm lying or anything. But uh, but man, it's amazing how, how even Noah, man, the wicked day that Noah was living in. But the Bible says what? What did Noah find? He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Man, you even just wicked times and wicked days and wicked events and wicked things and all kind of nasty things going on. It's amazing. If you're looking for grace, you can find some grace. And so I want to preach on that just for a few minutes, a few minutes tonight. Grace in a bad place. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your blessings, Lord. You've been so good to us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to look at this story and try to find some grace in it. And Lord, I pray that you would make it applicable to each and every one of us. Lord, I'm burdened for that one that may be in here that's far away from you. And uh, Lord, their heart's cold and hard. And uh, Lord, maybe they need to get saved. Maybe they've never been born again. And Lord, they're on their way towards destruction. God, I pray that you would please intervene. God, I pray that you would uh, please interrupt their plans, interrupt their course. And God, I pray that you would save them and do a work in their heart and life. Lord, show them grace, I pray. Lord, may they see it, may they find it, may they realize it, and Lord, may they experience it tonight. And uh, Lord, may we worship you because of the grace that you have for us even when we're in some bad places. And God, I pray that you would help us to see these things Lord, give us spiritual eyes, Lord, to see these truths out of the Word of God. Touch me, your preacher, tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, the names Sodom and Gomorrah, those are automatically in our minds synonymous with judgment, right? You think of Sodom, you think of Gomorrah, you think of judgment. In fact, every time that you'll find Sodom and Gomorrah mentioned in the New Testament, it's always in sync with judgment. Either it's telling us that, uh, that there is judgment coming and Sodom and Gomorrah are comparable to the judgment that's coming or, or that it's going to be worse for... It's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment. It's always talking about judgment. Peter talks about it. Jude talks about it. And he's always talking about judgment. They are an example. Sodom and Gomorrah serve as an example that God is serious about sin. And I know people, they, listen, they, 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 they turn up their nose at any kind of warning of judgment. They, they think, it's never going to happen in my lifetime. I don't have, they can live their life and not worry about the judgment of God. But the Bible and the New Testament always points back to Sodom and Gomorrah as the example. Look at what God did. He did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah. He judged those cities. And the judgment of God is real. And listen, just as much as the grace of God is real, and just as much as the love of God, God is real, and just as much as the mercy of God is real, listen, the judgment of God is real. Listen to me. Listen, look up here real close. If you're not saved, don't 
play games. Quit messing around. The judgment of God is real. You may go out into eternity tomorrow. I just got an alert on my phone yesterday. A 24-year-old NFL quarterback. I followed him in college and we saw him in the NFL just a little bit. He was just down in South Florida practicing with his teammates. Boom! Got hit by a dump truck yesterday morning. 24 years old. A multi-millionaire at 24 years old. Had all the fame. Had all kind of talent. Had everything. But boom! Went out and met God. He wasn't thinking about that, I'm sure. And I don't know his spiritual condition. I have no idea, and I'm not judging that. All I'm saying is this, is that he had no idea that his last day would be April the 9th, 2022. This could be your last day. You have no idea. And hell is real, and judgment is real, and if you've never been born again, quit playing around with your life. Quit playing around with your eternity, because you never never know when judgment is going to meet you. Amen. And if you're not right with God in here tonight, listen, you better quit playing around and you better quit playing games. And if you're cold on God and you're not right and you're backslid, and you're, I mean, just as backslid as you possibly can be, you need to quit messing around and get right with God. Listen, you're going to mess up your life. You're going to mess up your family's life. Listen, you don't want to meet God in that condition right there. Get right with God today. Judgment is absolutely real. Amen. But grace is real too. And I thank God for grace. We're living in grace. We live in a state of grace. And we see God's grace working in this city. And of course we see it in Lot's life. That's not even what I'm talking about. I mean, you say, well, Lot, you know, he, he, he was backslid and Lot was. If you think of a backslider in the Bible, a lot of times you think of Lot. I know I would. And uh, that's kind of how I got... Thinking about some of these things, I was thinking about Lot and his backslidden condition. There's a whole message about how he backslid. Man, he, 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 he used carnal means to make decisions for his life. And he ended up headed towards Sodom. And then what, what, he had a, just a tent that was faced that way. And then all of a sudden he's in the city. And now he's an elder in the city. And now there he is. His witness is gone. His testimony is gone. He loses his family. Listen, all kind of bad things happen because he has backslid on God. Don't mess around and stay backslid on God. Lot lost a lot because he was backslid. Amen. I don't know what you're waiting on to get right, but here's your invitation. Amen. Quit it. Get out of Sodom. Get yourself out. Amen. Get right with God before it costs you absolutely everything. And we can see the grace of God. Listen, Lot, man, he could have been destroyed in there with Sodom, right? I mean, he could have, but he had an uncle that was praying for him. That had a lot to do with it. Hey, having a godly family member, what was that? That was grace in Lot's life. And then the angels come down and Lot, he wasn't just so happy about moving out of town. And they picked him up and they drug him out of town. Verse number 16, I, man, I almost preached on this verse tonight. We didn't read it tonight, but verse 16 says, And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. And look at this phrase. I underline this phrase right here. The Lord being merciful to him. I want to tell you what that was, Lot getting out of something. That was the mercy of God. The Lord being merciful to him. Got him out, brought him forth, and set him without the city. God had to pick him up. And set them outside the city. You say, what was that? That was the mercy of God. That was the grace of God. The Lord being merciful unto him. The grace of God in Lot's life, that's easy to see. God could have judged him with the wicked because that's where he was living. That's what he was doing. 
But yet God had mercy on them, didn't he? God had grace on them. That's not even what I'm talking about. That's easy to spot. That's easy to see. I want, I want you to point out, or I, I want to point out this, and I want to point out to you the fact that there is grace, not just in Lot's life and his family, getting him out of the city, but there is grace in the life even of these sodomites. Do you understand that not just saved people experience the grace of God? You understand that we're all recipients of the grace of God. Somebody said this, that grace, and I like this definition of grace, grace is any time God makes a move in our direction. Anytime God moves in our direction, if God's ever moved, if He's ever convicted you of sin, if He's ever, if he's ever come to you with comfort, if He's ever done anything, if He's ever done anything towards you, anytime God has made a move toward man, that's grace. You know why? Because we don't deserve it. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. And as wicked as these men are, I can still see some manifestations of the grace of God. Because verse number 1 says this, that there came two angels to Sodom at even. What is that? That is God moving in their direction. You say, well, they're there for judgment. Yes, they are. But I want to show you some things. They are there to judge, no doubt about that. But there is an element of grace in their coming as well. God has grace. Listen, that drunk on the street, that prostitute on the corner, that drug dealer, listen, they are living in the grace of God. Listen, the rebellious teenager in here, the backslid church member, listen, the lost man, the lost woman, listen, you are living in the grace of God. You are experiencing the grace of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Titus, uh, chapter number 2, that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto what? All men. All men. The Lord is good to all, the Bible says in the Psalms. Listen, God is good to everybody. Listen, everybody is a recipient of the grace of God. And even in this wicked place, I want to show you God's grace in a bad place. God's grace even toward these sodomites that are in Sodom. Because I want you to know this. If you're in here and you're backslid on God, you're in here and you're not saved, I want you to know this. If, if, if this could accomplish anything tonight, I would pray that you would be able to look around and see the grace of God in your life. You know, the Bible says that the goodness of God will lead you to repentance. Man, if you'll look around and see how good God has been to you, what He could do to you and what He is doing to you right now, what He could give to you, uh, listen, as far as judgment, but yet what He has given to you and allowing you to enjoy right now. And the only thing you could take away from that is, is the grace of God. And listen, I want to tell you something. Let me tell you something about grace. Listen, it's good. It's a blessing. Thank God for it. But there's a Hebrew says there's a sore punishment for those that trample on the grace of God and despite the grace of God and refuse the grace of God. There will be a sore punishment for those in here that are not right with God and you keep putting up your nose, you keep thumbing your nose and you keep rejecting the good grace. God's been good in your life. God's been good to you and you might as well just turn around and spit in His face. Listen, there's a sore punishment for that. Amen. Listen, I believe hell's going to be hotter for those that are lost under grace. Amen trampled underfoot. Them Old Testament, them Old Testament sinners, they didn't trample underfoot the Son of God. 
New Testament sinners are. You know Jesus died for you. You know there's a sacrifice for your sin. You know God's good. You know God's gracious, and yet you say no anyway. Hell's going to be much hotter for you. I promise you it will be. Amen. There are, there are degrees of punishment in hell. Amen. And it will be much, there is a sore punishment under grace than there is under law. That's what the writer of Hebrews said. Amen. Look around at the grace of God. Look how good God's been. And even in this wicked place, I can see the grace of God. Let me get, I'll give you three things. Here's just three ways that I see grace in this bad place. Number one, <clears throat> I see grace in the waiting. Grace in the waiting. In chapter 18, and we're not going to take time to read a lot of Scripture there or anything, but I want you to just glance over chapter 18, the, the latter half of that chapter, and I want you to note that in verses about 17 to 21, what you have is a dialogue, you have a conversation that's between God and Abraham. These two men, before they went to Sodom, they're angelic beings, these, these men, these angelic men, before they went to Sodom, they made a stop at Abraham's house. They had a meal with Abraham and Sarah. They confirmed to Abraham and Sarah the promises that God had made to them about the, the, the sun and the seed and the land and all the things that, all the things that God had promised them. Uh, they have not, have not yet been fulfilled. Uh, Isaac has not yet been born and all this, and they're confirming those promises to him. And before God leaves, before these men, leave. God says, listen, I got to tell Abraham, we cannot hide this from him. That's how close Abraham and God was. He said, man, we, I'm going to do this. I'm going to destroy Sodom and I got to tell Abraham first. And you know what happens? God and Abraham begin to I don't know what the right word for it is. I don't know because I ain't never done that with God and I don't know anybody that ever has, but Abraham did. He began to barter with God. He began to bargain with God just a little bit about 50 righteous and 40 righteous. Would you spare the city for just 10? In fact, this is very interesting about Sodom and Gomorrah. You need to note this, that God did not destroy Sodom for its abundance of wickedness. God destroyed Sodom for its lack of righteousness. And before you go around and say, well, this world's so wicked, this world's so... Yeah, it is so wicked, but that's not why we're under judgment. We're under judgment because there's not enough people that name the name of Christ that actually are godly and righteous in this world. Amen. Somebody say amen right there. Listen, don't blame the sodomites for the issue. It's the Christian's fault, the reason we're in the nation the reason we're in the problems we're in this nation. Amen? It's those that name in the name of Christ. It's those that say they're saved. God didn't destroy. He, he would have saved it if there were just ten. If one righteous man and his family could have impacted just one other family, lived right in a wicked, dark world, and impacted one other family, God would have spared the whole city. They couldn't even do that. They blended in and dwelled in amongst them instead. Amen? Everybody all right? I thought this would be a nice message on grace, but I'm feeling a... I feel a little mean streak about separation coming on just a little bit. Amen. I tell you, it's blending with the world. It ain't just killing the church. It's killing the sinners. Amen. It's hastening the judgment of God. Listen, I tell you what this lost world needs. They don't need, listen, they don't need your approval. They don't need your applause. They need you to stand up and live different in this world. That's what this lost world needs more than anything. They don't need you to embrace their sin. They need you to be different and live right. That way when they come to the end of themselves and they don't know where to go, they say, well, I tell you what, I saw them and they're a Christian and they got something I don't have. Amen. The world's got so churchy and the church has got so worldly, you can't tell where one stops and the other starts. And we're killing this nation. Amen. God, help us. But I want you to notice this, that God, when did, when did God know 
about the wickedness in Sodom? When did God know about the... I mean, God knows everything, doesn't He? He knew it back then. And I know He tells Abraham that He's going to go and see and, and check it out and all that stuff. But listen, God knows everything. He knows absolutely everything. When did God know that Sodom was worthy of judgment? Way back. And guess what? Before he judged that city, he stopped by a prayer warrior's house. He stopped by an intercessor's house. I don't know how long that conversation took between Abraham and God, but I'll tell you one thing it did do. It may not have stayed the judgment, but it did delay the judgment. And not only that, but when the angels get into the city in chapter number one, or chapter, or verse number one of chapter 19, the Bible says they come into the city, Lot immediately spots them. He knows what's going on. He tells them, come to our house, we'll feed you a meal, we'll wash your feet, we'll take care of you, you rise up early, you go on your way. But here's what they told him at the end of verse number two. They said, no, we're going to abide in the street all night. Here's one thing I noted. At least this. At least those angels planned on at least spending one night, and they did spend one night. Let me tell you what they could have done. Because God already knew about how wicked it was. I'll tell you what God could have done. God could have just immediately, at any moment, He could have rained fire and brimstone out of heaven and destroyed that whole city. Could He not have? But do you see how slow the anger of God is? Do you see how slow the wrath of God is? Do you see He doesn't just in a fury like you and I, we fly off the handle when our when our pressure, you know, our pressure cooker blows its top, you know. We just get mad. And listen, God's anger is not like that. It is hot and it is it is devastating and it is absolutely horrible. But God never loses his temper. In fact, the opposite is true. He is slow to anger. Before God ever goes to Sodom in judgment, He stops by Abraham's house. Before ever, before God ever rains fire and brimstone out of heaven, He sends these men in and they actually spend an entire evening, an entire night. It's not until the very next day that God judges the city and God destroys the city. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying, look how much God waited. Look at Him waiting. Look at Him delaying His judgment. Did judgment come? Yes. But it was not immediate. It had been after long years of a cry of wickedness coming up into the ears of God. It had been after He stopped at the prayer warrior's house, after the men spent a night in Sodom. They could have come in there guns a-blazing, but yet they stayed an entire night. You say, what is that? That's the grace of God. The grace of God in His waiting, in His long-sufferingness, in His delaying. Every single moment a Sodomite breathed in clean air was the grace of an almighty God that could have and should have judged them and yet He waited to give them grace. And can I tell you, sinner friend, tonight, listen, if you're wait, listen, if you're, if you're not saved, if you're backslid on God, listen, the fact that you are breathing and the fact that you can walk and the fact that you are here tonight, listen, that doesn't mean God's okay with your sin. That doesn't mean God's looking over your sin. That doesn't mean God approves 
approves of what you're doing. All that means is God is a gracious God. And instead of cutting you off right now, He's giving you time to repent. He's giving you time to get right. He's giving you time to get saved. Amen. That's the grace of God. He waits around. He forgives us immediately, but yet His judgment grinds slowly. It's sure, it grinds sure, but it is slow. That is a blessing of God. Aren't you thankful, listen, that God doesn't just zap you the very moment you sin? You know what I'm talking about. That very moment you sin. That very moment you backslide. Listen, God should have struck you down. God should have took you out of here. God should have put you flat on your back. The moment you even thought about you thought about backsliding. You thought about falling out of love with Him. And yet He didn't do it. He gives you time. And He gives you days. And some of you, you've been away for years. And you've been backslid for a long time. And God in His graciousness has delayed His judgment in your life. That is grace. That's grace. There is grace in the waiting. God waits and he tarries long with sinners. The fact that God's judgment is slow is a testimony to the, to the grace of God. He tarries long. Aren't you glad he tarries long with sinners? How many of you did not? Listen to the question now. How many of you did not get saved the first time God dealt with your heart? Raise your hand. Look at that. You know what that is? That's the grace of God. You know what God should have done the first time you said no? The first time you resisted the Holy Ghost? The first time you kicked against the pricks? He should have just picked you up and threw you into hell. You know why? Because that's more than what you deserve. Listen, that's more than what you deserve. But you know what He did? He kept going after you. And He kept going after you. And He gave you another moment. And He gave you another chance. And He gave you another opportunity. That's the good grace of an almighty God. Bless His holy name that He waits for us to repent. Amen. Now, there'll be a time when the waiting's over. There'll be a time when it's too late to cry out. It's too late to repent. He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. And it will be absolutely too late. But until then, don't presume on the grace of God. Don't think you'll always... Listen, you don't know that you'll have tomorrow. You don't know if you'll have the next five minutes. God is waiting in grace on you. And that's His grace. That's His grace. One day the grace will run out. You need to repent while you can. Amen. But in the meantime, notice, look around, see it, recognize it. The grace of God. That's His grace. I'm so glad He's gracious with us. He's coming back. Y'all believe He's coming? He's coming. And man, it is. It's going to be just a moment. Some of y'all are going to be left behind. You're going to be sitting in here and you're going to be left behind if you're not saved. And I believe, listen, I, you believe what you want to believe, but I believe i got Bible to back this up. If you've heard the gospel, if you've had an opportunity to be saved, and you ain't, listen, you ain't going to get another one. You will believe the strong delusion and you will be damned. That's what the Bible says, 2 Thessalonians 2. Those who rejected the truth, Amen. You won't get another chance. You won't get another opportunity. This is your day. Today. Now is the time. Jesus is coming back. 
Say, well, where's he at? You know, people mock. And he's well, y'all Christians, y'all been talking about Jesus coming back. Where's he at? Where's he at? I'm telling you where he's at. He's waiting in heaven in graciousness. Because sinner friend, mocker, let me tell you something. <laughs> oh, man, I'm glad God. I'm glad God's not like, like me. Man, one of them fools start mocking. Where's the promise? Of, man, I'd say, I'll tell you where the promise of my come. I'm going to take my promise. and I'm gonna, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with it. Amen. But aren't you glad God is not willing that any should perish? But that all, what is God's will? What does He want? He wants all to come to repentance. Listen, He's long-suffering to usward. That's what it says, long-suffering to usward. 2, Timothy, 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord's not slack. It's not that He's not going to complete His promise. It's not that He's gonna fulfill, not going to fulfill His promise. But He's long-suffering to usward. That means He suffers long. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's grace in the waiting of God, the long-sufferingness of God. And I just saw it. I know, I know there's judgment coming. I know these men don't repent. And I know judgment comes on this. But as I saw it, I thought, man, look at how long he waits. He talks to Abraham. They spend the night in Sodom. Even while they're trying to beat down the door. I mean, there's just grace, isn't there? There's waiting. Not only is there grace in the waiting, but secondly, let me say this tonight. There's grace in the warning. <clears throat> there's grace in the warning. You can clearly see the evil of this city in verse 4 and verse 5. It says, but before they lay down. Man, this is just the wicked, the wickedness of this city. But before these angelic men, before they could even lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, just let that sink in. Old and young. I mean, this, this, this wickedness has permeated. It's multi-generational wickedness. It's fathers and sons. It's, 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 it's uh, 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 the mentors and students. I mean, it's just it's old and young. It's just every, everywhere. And they called unto Lot, verse 5, and said to him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Man, their evil request. Look at that. Everything that God knew about this city, I'm, of course, it was absolutely true. And, 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 and Lot's response in the next couple of verses is, is uh, very interesting. He says in Lot, verse 6, Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. So he goes outside the door and he shuts the door behind them. Okay? Trying to protect those angels that were inside. And really, them angels, listen, well, I'll get to that in a minute, but Lot wasn't protected. I hope you know that, all right? They didn't need that. But look at what Lot said in verse number 7. He said, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so, what's that next word? Wickedly. Do not so wickedly. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When Lot said that, it set them off. I'm going to tell you what sinners don't like. They don't like to be told that what they're doing is wicked. They don't like it. In fact, nobody likes to be told that what they're doing is wicked. And I know Lot goes in, I mean, Lot, he's messed up, isn't he? I mean, man... God bless him. He's, he's offering his daughters. I mean, this is just, uh, this is just horrible what's going on in his life. But I, I want you to know this. I want you to see this. That, Lot, that Sodom did have an impact on Lot's heart and, and his mind, no doubt about that. This is just, just, man, you can't live in Sodom and it not have an impact. 
And not live in it, mean, but, but he, he didn't just live there. He lived in it. He was a part of it. And you can't just, you can't live there. I'm not saying he was involved in these sins, but he let that, he let that stuff. There was no, I'm not saying we, there, there ought not to be isolation. We don't isolate ourselves from the world, but there ought to be some insulation. There was no insulation in Lot's life. And because of that, he's thinking, you know, what I, you know what I'm talking about when I say sin will make you stupid? Here's another proof text right here. Sin will make you stupid. He offered his daughters to these, to these men. That's absolutely But notice, that's not, what, that's not what upset them. What upset them is when Lot said, Don't do wickedly. This is wicked. What you are doing and what you are trying to do, it is absolutely wicked. And they don't like it. They don't like it when what you, when what you say, when, when what you tell them that they're doing is wrong. They do not like that at all. In fact, their response to Lot calling their behavior wicked is exactly... I mean, listen, these people today, it's not new. Anything you see going on, it's not new. Nothing's new. This is the book of Genesis. This is like the first civilization ever. You understand? Some of the first civilizations ever on this planet. And look at what they're doing. They've come to verse number 9. Here's what it says. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn and he will needs be a judge. You see that? You know what they just said? Lot said, what you're doing is wicked. And you know what they said? Who are you to judge? Is that not... I mean, that's what we hear today, isn't it? We stand up and say, hey, that sodomite agenda, that's wicked. Well, who are you to judge? Abortion is wicked. Who are you? That's judgmental. Judge not. It's like the only verse they know. Listen, we're hitting like the two verses that get taken out of context the most. One was this morning, one's tonight, right? I can do all things through Christ's strength in me. Man, that verse has been abused. The other one's Matthew 7, 1, right? Judge not. That's the only thing they know, unless you be judged. Who are you to judge us? And the truth is, Lot wasn't much to be judging anybody. But what he said was right. And you know what it was? To confront somebody in their sin and to tell somebody what they're doing is wrong. Listen to me real close. That is not the judgment of God. The fire and the brimstone, that was the judgment of God. But for somebody to look them in their God-given eyeballs and say, Hey, what you're doing is wicked. That was grace. And there is grace in the warning. There is an objective standard of what is right and what is wrong. No matter what this world says, this world tries to blur the lines and say, what's truth and what's right, you know, your truth and my truth. And what's right for you may be right for me. And what's wrong to you, it may not be wrong to me. And everything's just objective. Everything's subjective. But rather, let me tell you this, there is an objective standard of truth and it is the Word of God. And when I stand up here and tell you, hey, you're wicked or what you're doing is wicked, listen, that's not me. That's the Word of God. I'm not, te- I'm not judging you. I'm telling you what the judge said. And anytime God, instead of, instead of picking you up and throwing you into hell, instead of that, He sends a preacher to tell you, hey, what you're doing is wicked. That's not judging. That's not judgment. That's grace. You ought to thank God for it. You ought to thank God for any time ever, anybody's ever stuck a finger in your face and said, hey, you're wrong. Hey, you need to get right with God. Hey, you're backslid. Hey, you need to think about things. Hey, you're not doing right. Hey, you're living wickedly. Hey, the desires of your heart are wicked. Hey, the path you're going down is wicked. Anytime anybody's ever trying to flag you down and warn you that what you're doing is wicked, that's grace. 
And though they thought it was judgment, it was great. When Lot said, don't do wickedly, that was the grace of God. That was a warning. What if the men, now what if, I know this is a big what if, but what if, everybody look up here, it's fine. What if, what if the men of Sodom would have said, you know, this is wicked. You know what, this is right. What Lot's saying. You know what, it is wrong how we're living. I don't know if they could. You can talk about reprobate minds and all that kind of stuff. I I don't know. I I ain't getting into all that tonight. But all I'm saying is, what if they did? You say, I don't know if God would spare a city like he did for Nineveh. Nineveh was a wicked city. And Jonah went in to Nineveh. Jonah didn't even like them people. He didn't have a burden for them people. All he had a burden for was not being in the belly of a whale. That was his burden. My burden is to be on dry land. He didn't care about them. He wanted them to die and go to hell. Amen. Amen. Now listen, I know y'all ain't got the greatest preacher in the world, but I mean, I think I'm a little better than Jonah, maybe. I mean, I'm not trying to be prideful or anything. I'm just saying, at least I love y'all. Amen. I don't want you to die and go to hell. I want you to get right. Jonah didn't give a rip about them people. And when he, go, when he went through Nineveh, he never preached love. He never preached mercy. He never preached grace. All he told him, he went through that city and he said, you're wicked, you're wicked, you're wicked. Judgment's coming, 40 days, hunker down. This city's going to be overthrown. You're all under the judgment of God. God's all going to judge you. And they were pretty wicked. You don't know how wicked uh, the, Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, if you don't know how wicked them Syrians were, just go do a little research on it. They were wicked. But you know what? God had mercy on them. They humbled themselves. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody in the Word of God that humbled themselves for God. I don't care what curses God put on. I don't care what God said He was going to do. He'll change His mind every time when He gets a whiff of a humble heart. He said, I forget it. Let's forgive Him. (laughs) That's what God does. You know why? Because He's a gracious God and He loves to forgive and He loves to extend mercy. That's what He loves to do. Now, I know Sodom, I know they're wicked, I know their sin. We look at that and say, oh, that's just the horriblest sin in the world. I'm going to tell you what, God will save a Sodomite. He will. If they'll repent. Amen. I'm not going to get into you about reprobate minds and all that, but I'm just telling you, God will save anybody that will call on His name. Amen. There's never been one, I don't care what they are, that's called out on God by faith with repentance and a humble heart that God didn't save them. Amen. Not one. And so that judgment, when when Lot said, don't do wickedly, that wasn't the judgment of God. That was the grace of God. God gave them a warning. And then he goes to his sons-in-law in verse 14. I'm not even going to go there. He gave, they got a warning too. They were men of Sodom. I don't know if they were partakers in this certain sin in the sense of Sodomites like that, but they were Sodomites in the sense that they were citizens of Sodom. And they could have, they could have escaped judgment. In fact, the angels wanted, they called their names out specifically in verse number whatever it is about, said, get your sons-in-law and get all these people. Get your daughters. Get them out. Verse 12. Get them out. Get them all out. But they mocked. They laughed. I'm going to tell you something. You can mock at the preacher. You can laugh at the preacher. 
You can turn your nose up at the preacher and all the warnings and all that. You say, man, that preacher's just so judgmental and they're just so mean over there and they don't understand. I'm going to tell you, every time a preacher gets up, every time somebody approaches you and every time somebody tries to plead with you, please get right with God. Please give your life to the Lord. Listen, that is the grace of God. And there'll be one day you'll wish you could get it. You wish you could hear it one more time. Amen. There's grace in the waiting. There's grace in the warning. And I'll give you one last one. <clears throat> There's grace in the, in the wearying is what I'm going to call it. The wearying. Uh, you know, while these men are trying to break down the door, the Bible says in verse, uh, <clears throat> uh, in verse number 10, the men, they pulled Lot into the house. Verse 11, and they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Um, they wore themselves out trying to find the door. You say, God, I mean, these angels, they smote them with blind. Where's grace in that? Where, where's, the grace of, where's the grace of God in that? They, they, wore, they literally, and, they, and this is what blows my mind, is that I think if I would have just miraculously miraculously been struck by blindness, I think that would cause me to rethink some things. Anybody with me on that? Okay, I'm going this way, I'm trying, and then all of a sudden I can't, everything's blacked out and I can't see. I think I'm going to do something else. I think I'm going to get on my knees and beg for mercy. But no, they kept trying to find that door. Where's the door? Where's the door? Can you imagine being that enslaved to sin? Man, that's tough, ain't it? I'm going to tell you, that's what sin does to you, though. Sin will absolutely wear you out. In fact, I know a lot of people that have literally wearied themselves because of their enslavement to sin. Sin will absolutely wear you out. It will leave you tired. I'm going to tell you something. That blindness, that causing them to get tired, that causing them to get weary, I want you to know, again, that's not the judgment of God. The judgment of God is the fire and the brimstone. That was actually the grace of God because i tell you what God did in doing that. He kept them. He hindered them from doing all that they could have done or would have done. And we can see that even in lost people's life, even, even in our life. You can see, listen, the grace of God has a restraining measure to it, doesn't it? And it will actually restrain you and keep you from doing You say, well, I'm not a serial killer by the grace of God. So I'm not a pedophile by the grace of God. The grace of God actually restrains even the lost man and keeps him from doing. All. Listen, total depravity does not mean that everybody is as wicked as they possibly could be. But it's just simply the grace of God that keeps us uh, from being as wicked as we possibly could be. And the truth is that... And the truth is this, is that it was the grace of God that kept them from doing all that they had in their heart to do. That's grace. And even in the weariness, the getting tired of I don't know, Miss Matt, you can come to the piano. I'm pretty much done. But I don't know if you remember before you got saved, but some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. God struck you. God smote you. Um, you were on your way, I mean, 100 miles an hour towards sin and toward hell, and God, God, God put, I, I always think, Brother Gary, I don't mean to, Gary Duggins, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I always think about your testimony, Brother Gary, where God put him flat on his back. He always says it like that. God put him flat on his back. He had one of, 
he had one of the worst back surgeries anybody could ever have. I mean, and what I say by that, what I mean by that is, like, they just didn't do a good job. The doctor did a horrible job, didn't he? But it was the best thing ever happened to you, wasn't it? You know why? Because it put him on his back. He got struck with blindness. You know what that caused? That caused him to get tired and weary. He got sick of his sin. He got sick of where he was living. I tell you, some of you couples know it's like before y'all found Jesus, y'all were fussing and fighting and arguing and throwing things. Maybe some of y'all still doing that. You get saved. But you know what I'm talking about? You get weary, you get tired, and, and God sends something in your life just to absolutely wear you out. You say, what is that? That's the grace of God. If God sends something in your life, to, whatever God can send in your life to get you absolutely sick and tired of where you are, where you just can't get up and go on anymore, listen, that's the grace of God. Has God ever let you get weary in your backslidden condition? Has God ever let you get weary in your lost state? Has God ever let you get weary in that stuff? What is that? That's the good grace of God. There's grace even in the weariness. I'm going to tell you something. You start looking for grace, you better watch out. Because it pops up all over the place. You just, there it is. Man, that's grace. That's grace. That's grace. Pretty much anything that's not judgment is grace. <laughs> Because when you deserve judgment, anything other than that is the grace of God. So this is like the easiest message to ever write. You pretty much close your eyes and point to a verse. That's not verse 24 or 25. Because that's when the fire and brimstone comes down. And you can say, that's grace. That's grace. Man, there's grace all over that. If God will allow your sin to wear you out to the point that you can't go on anymore. That's grace because it's usually only to that point where you get sick and tired and weary of your sin that you can hear the voice of the good shepherd. And he says something like, Come unto me, all ye that are weary, and all ye that are heavy laden. And he said, I will give you rest. But you never hear that while you're beating down a door trying to live your sin and live your wickedness. But if God will ever strike you down, put you on your back, if God will ever put you on you, where you can't move and you can't go on anymore, listen, don't get mad at God. Don't get angry at God. That's God saving you from yourself. God may be just trying to get your attention. There's grace all in this, ain't it? Yeah, God, He's a God of judgment. And that judgment might be coming sooner than what you think. But if you'll look around, I'll tell you what you'll see. You'll see the grace of God. He's been good to you. And I wouldn't wait. If you're not saved and here tonight, I beg with you, I plead with you, be saved. If you're not right with God, please be saved. You don't want the judgment of God to fall on your life. Look around and look at the grace of God. You're in church on a Sunday night. God's got you here. That's grace. Don't spit in the face of grace. Recognize it and respond to His grace. Let's stand together all.